Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. She makes Marin's powers look like a parlor trick and Grease's swag look like humility. It's Lindsay. Marin's powers like full capabilities or Marin's powers while they're dwindling, though? Depends on the day. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I have my good days and my bad. That's fair. We all do. We all do. <laughs> but uh, today, guys, we're going to be talking about Marin and Grease and Cal and, and everybody in the Jedi Fallen Order universe as we talk about Jedi Battle Scars, uh, which is the Jedi Survivor tie-in novel by Sam Maggs. And I cannot wait to talk about this. I'm very excited. Um, we're going to cut right to it because we've got a lot to to discuss uh, on this episode, as we do with all the standalone books. I feel like with High Republic, we can always kind of take time to take a pulse of where it's at with the, the standalone novels. I feel like we got to just get into it. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to ask Lindsay, because you are, are a gamer more so than I am, um, what is your relationship thus far with Jedi Fallen Order? Because all I've done, I've watched it on on YouTube. I've watched the playthrough, but that's the extent of, of my attachment to the characters. Yeah. So my relationship, I mean, I was at the celebration when it was announced and I was at that panel. So I was already really hyped, played the game, absolutely loved it. And I have said for quite some time that I've been more excited for Survivor than I was for season three of Mandalorian. Now, anyone who listens to Sith Talk knows I'm absolutely obsessed with season three of Mandalorian. Um, So the game really, really had to exceed a lot of expectations. Um, But in terms of the game, I get so frustrated with the game because I'm terrible at video games, but I'm so incredibly in love with the story of this, this entity. Um, So really I'm, I'm, so on board with with the story and where they're going and just have some emotional breakdowns because i can't like jump on rocks in the right order and it's frustrating um but i love the story see and this is why i just watch it on youtube because then i don't have to deal with my own insecurities about being bad at video games um what about survivor because you've you've started survivor right yes and uh that is a very hard game and i feel better because zach is is a big gamer um and him and i were were chatting and he kind of talked me into a little better headspace today actually just because i'm so bad at the game but the story is so good and that's part of the frustration is I'm so bad at this game, but I want to know everything about this story immediately and really experience it. And I'm just like, can I just stop stop falling off cliffs and dying? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get to the story. But he 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 did say he's like, this is one of the hardest games that I've played. Well, and I do think like 
there is an emotional connection that you miss when you're just watching it, you know, watching a playthrough or whatever, and you're not actually investing your effort into it, you know, like for me, mm-hmm. we'll get to this more in, in a minute, but I wasn't really attached to these characters. Like I watched the story. Cool. I like the, you know, the whole Zepho thing. BD one's cute. Cool. It was, you know, I'm glad everybody loves it, but I wasn't as in love with Cal Kestis and everybody, everything as everybody else was. Um, and so I think there you do in going through those, those trials, if you will, you know, kind of develop a relationship with the characters that you can't really get just, you know, uh, just watching it on YouTube in the same kind of way that, you know, we have more of an attachment to, uh, you know, book characters because we have a book podcast and, and we have these, uh, you know, connections with these particular, uh, films because we spend so much time thinking about it. Like it increases our connection with it. So it was really interesting for me coming into this because like I said, I, I wasn't really, a big fan one way or the other. Uh, I could kind of take it or leave it as far as, as Jedi Fallen Order went. Um, but if we want to go ahead and jump into the rankings, I freaking love this book. All right. So what do you give it? 4.5 out of 5. I give it a 2 out of 5. No! Yeah. Yes! I had this bad feeling. I had a really bad feeling once I started seeing the reactions on Facebook and Twitter. I was like, damn it, this is going to be one where Lindsay and I disagree. Okay, well, you know what? Good, because I feel like it's been a while since it has that's been, been the case. Um, so good, but that I also feel better, too, because I always try and avoid other people's reactions and, and reviews until I'm done with the story. And by the time I was done with the story, I feel like that it all kind of faded. Um, so I'm glad that it's not just me, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, listen, I'm here for angsty teen drama, like, that's my YA jam, so I'll take that all day, and this book is full of it. Like, I do think this book would have been better served in the YA genre. I think it would have gotten better reactions, Mm -hmm. uh, because Mm -hmm. the audience it would have pulled. But for me, really, the only negative marker that I have is that some of the action felt like a video game. Um, like, for example, when when Marin is fighting off the brood at the end, it just very much felt like a challenge where you, you would have in a game. And, like, I know the book is a, a tie-in to the game, which is why it's, you know, only losing half a point of it rather than a whole point because, you know, battles are, were a big part of this. But other than that, I thought this book was as close to perfect as you can possibly get. Um uh, the reflections from the different characters on trauma and uh, formulating their ideas on how to deal with the trauma in their new reality and how, you know, one pebble in a pond, uh, in this case, uh, a, a bigger rock, but one pebble in a pond can can change everything um, that you think you understand was just extremely compelling to me. You know, it makes sense, too, um, because I thought the same concept with with quite a few points in the game where I was like, this could have been a video game and would have been a good video game. So it's it's nice that it ties it. And I did what I very rarely do and should do more often, but just flip to the back cover 
um, and from the, about the author. And it does say that Sam Mangs does write video games um, and then goes on to list the video games that she's written. So I think that's kind of a, a natural fit. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't uh, read that. Um, hmm. Are there any games that like I would be familiar with, like any real popular games that she's written that you can remember? Um, you know, and I've got the book in front of me. She's listed as Marvel Action Captain Marvel, The Unstoppable Wasp, Tell No Tales, and Spider Man. Okay, so a lot of uh, Marvel ones. So she's used to taking see. Because I, I think these characters, she really got, you know, deep into their psyche, which to me, I was like, she must have just rewatched this for, you know, these playthroughs on YouTube for hours on end to really get down to the psyche of these characters. But it kind of seems like that's what she does. Like, that's her wheelhouse is taking these characters that are already known and developing them them more. Uh, I'm not particularly familiar with any of those specific games. But it uh, seems like that's where she's coming from. So for you, why was it a two out of five? So, I mean, the writing style didn't do much for me. And not even just because of that, you know, oh, it goes right into action. It's a video game thing. There were one in particular. There was like a weird time jump where I missed. I remember this so vividly. I missed the heading that said a few days earlier and then all of a sudden it's now and there's this big jump and and this crazy like fight brewing on the mantis and whatnot and i had to go back to be like what does this mean now when did when were we in a different time and it's just stuff like that that i was like yeah this seems pretty easy you're 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 knocking the book for your lack of reading no, the text no, features? No, because even, even if I had caught it, you know I hate things that happen kind of like one time and out of nowhere just to make it seem like easy writing and lazy writing. Yeah, okay. So I wasn't a big fan of the, the writing style, especially because there were so many opportunities, like really great opportunities to me to, to really get in and, and focus. And I love Marin. And I love how in-depth we got into her. I think this is a book that would have benefited from being a little bit longer. And if it wasn't, we should have cut how many times and how often we jumped from character point of views. See, that's interesting because I was just thinking how I feel like more books should be shorter like this one. And that sometimes they add in too much extra stuff to get, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, you know, the 350 pages or whatever the page count is. And it, I felt like this one, I, I can definitely see your perspective. I felt like Sam Mags had a concise story that she wanted to tell and she just wrote it as it needed to be told. Um, it would be interesting if this was kind of a as I lay dying kind of thing where each chapter is the point of view of a different character, but you're continuing on the story like it, it doesn't, uh, you know, do four chapters, you know, four different characters perspectives on the same the same point. Uh, but to me, what I really found interesting was having Marin be kind of the central main character. Like, yes, it was a you know, collaborative, uh, you know, the crew of the Mantis is the main character, but really she was, was the one who, uh, moved the story along. And, 
she wasn't in um Jedi Fallen Order for that long. Like she made multiple appearances, but she didn't have a ton of screen time. She and I mean the in Fallen Order, like she was kind of like a a, a quest and I forget the right. word I'm looking for. Um Oh man, what is the word I'm looking for? It's gonna hit me later on. But she was she was almost like the the thing you were going after, whatever that word is. Um and yeah, so she was a big central part of the story, no doubt, but we didn't really know her as a character. So it was cool because I think that's where a lot of the opportunity was. And I am, I'll, I'll give Sam Max credit on this. I'm surprised to hear myself say that because I really do love Cal. And there's, there's some stuff that I highlighted throughout the book that I was really interested in and I wish they dug a little bit deeper in. And it really came from him and his thought, and his struggle. But Mirren, at the same time, is just, she's a really cool character. But I think even, like, her relationship with, with Fred or whatever, that came too soon and too sudden and too out of nowhere and just too heavy for how quickly we got there. And too much weight and emphasis. And really, I mean, think about it, the entire story really rode on that relationship that just came completely out of the blue that that's the point is it came out of the blue for the plot i get it for the plot i get it but like as a reader i couldn't really justify a lot of what was happening and what i was seeing and reading just because of that interesting because to me that made it more compelling because i'm like all right this is happening way too quickly so something is definitely gonna go wrong here and then you know, uh, you've already got Marin with trust issues. Uh, she clearly has that, you know, uh, with her magic and not even being able to trust herself, really. And that's the, the real cause of her not being able to to use her magic in the beginning. Uh, and then Cal goes and uses his magic, if you will, with his psych- uh, psychometry, psychometry. However you say that. Psychom- yeah, psych. Psychometry, psychometry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one you know, where he yeah, it is. Things. It would, yeah, and it would be, I guess, psychometry. But for some reason, whenever I'm reading it in my head, I say psychometry. Well, either way, however you say yeah. it, he uses that particular skill that he has to betray her trust. And so, like, I liked the tension that was developed between there, and that that was something that I thought this book took a big risk in doing. That for me paid off was. You had these characters in Fallen Order who the story is part of, part of the story, not the main plot line, but part of the story is about their coming together, uh, particularly like you were saying with bringing Marin in. I think the word you were looking for was MacGuffin. Thank you. It was. I knew it began with an M. That's absolutely what it was. Bringing the, the McMarin into the story uh, was was kind of the point. And so... When I started this book, I expected it to be about this crew and them together, you know, conquering some big bad. And really, they were their own protagonist and antagonist. Like, the Shroud and all of that stuff is, is you know, the plot. But I wouldn't consider that. I wouldn't consider Karis. It's almost, it felt more like a B-plot, almost. It really did. It, it felt like... It felt like in, uh, to me, this felt a lot like the Queen's books where the characters mm. are the plot. Mm. Like that's, that's what it really was. And, but it was unique from those books in that 
these characters were simultaneously their own protagonist and antagonist, like yeah. both with themselves and against each other, you know, and they blamed it on Fred and her coming in. But again, like if you throw a pebble in a pond and you get a tsunami, like, is that really the pebbles fault or is that you had all these other conditions that allowed for, you know, a tsunami to happen. And I know that's a kind of crass metaphor analogy that doesn't quite work, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it works. I would say it works. Yeah. Do you think this one would have been better as a YA book? Do you feel like maybe it would have been executed a little better? Yes. There were multiple times where, to be honest, I forgot that it wasn't. Mm. There, it just, I don't know if it was because of that character exploration. Again, like, I just, I really think this could have been so well served if it was either longer or just more focused on specific character point of views. But from the the way it was done already, it would have been better served too as the, the YA book. Yeah, I mean, because it really, to me it is, I mean, you've obviously got the Marin and Fret uh, relationship. Relationship. <laughs> um, relation Freudian slip. Uh, that is kind of, that's kind of the main driver of the story is, is their yeah. relationship. And it felt very angsty and teen. And I mean, Marin is this character, she's a... It's so interesting when you think about the history of the Night Sisters, right? And we were all kind of shocked when in Fallen Order we got a Night Sister because for all intents and purposes, like they were all gone. You know, we got the spirits and rebels and and, th- and stuff like that, but the Night Sisters were gone. And so to have this surviving Night Sister, time has kind of stopped for her on Dathomir. You know, so if you think developmentally, she had this major trauma of losing her, you know, her entire people, not just her family, but like her literal culture. And then time kind of stands still until she meets the Mantis crew, you know, based on what we have so far. Like maybe we get comics later on and she had been, you know, joyriding around the galaxy, beating people up. Who knows? But as of right now she is stuck in her stuck in place. So developmentally, she kind of is a teen when she's, you know, handling this. Whereas Cal being a Jedi during order 66 and the fall of the order and having to survive and everything like that, he had to grow up too quickly. So they're literally like the opposites of each other. You know, they're, they're light side, dark side. They are a, a kid who had to grow up too fast and an adult who hasn't grown up yet you know in in terms of of life experience and everything it's not to say she's immature but uh so i guess they were at the end of the day they were bound to have this tension like i i think they would have had it either way but it's really interesting that you you know you brought in this character fret who just becomes this all-consuming force for both of them like Cal feels betrayed by Marin for, uh, or, you know, uh, for Fret taking her away. And at the same time, you know, Marin is willingly being taken away by Fret. Like she's allowing herself to fall into this infatuation and this puppy love, uh, that, you know, 
we all have, I mean, we've all had those relationships where it's just like instantly we're like obsessed with the person and we don't know why. And those usually don't end very well. That's usually because of our own uh, internal stuff more than it is that particular person. And maybe too, that's why it felt like a YA book, because I think we've also seen that sort of play out in other YA books. You know, Rebel Rising really sticks out to me for that reason. But yeah, it's about finding yourself, not just in yourself, but through your relationship with these other people that brings it about. Um, So I'm actually almost surprised. Like, it seems like a no-brainer that this should have been YA. And I think a lot more could have been done with it had it been. Yeah, I think... You know, they, they wanted it to tie into a video game. Okay, who's buying the video games? Adults are buying the video games. You know, teens are not out here playing video games and reading books. Like, as a reading teacher, I can tell you, it's one or the other. They're either it's reading so books funny you books. say that, because my fiancé's stepbrother is in high school, and he's so upset because he really wants to play the game. He's like, but, you know, he's 16 years old. He's like, I don't have $70. And I'm like, dude, let me beat this game. You come over anytime and you can play it, but then you also have to watch <laughs> my dogs when I ask. But, uh, yep. but he's he really no is lunch. to your to your point. I feel like it's not that they're they don't play because they're not interested in it. It's they can't play because they're kids and they need mom and dad's wallet to do. Things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, with these tie-in novels and stuff, I mean, it's it's a a marketing strategy. Like, let's not mistake that. That's not to say they can't be great. You know, like Inferno Squad one of the best Star Wars books tie into a video game. Like it was marketing for Battlefront 2. Um, So it it can work. And we obviously disagree on this one, but I think this one worked really well. But yeah, I mean, the the core of YA stuff is about identity. Like, I mean, all stories are really about identity, but like really coming of age identity and what happens when your reality is shattered and like right from the beginning we start with Marin and her reality is just shattered and this quote stood out to me because it really put into context uh what she was struggling with and it's on page 44 it says and when she closed her eyes and looked within herself reached for the fire that made her who she was she found nothing she grasped and searched and grabbed she knew it was there and how and how would she or how would she still draw breath? It was her, but she'd listen. She'd list her, her way toward it. What was a night sister of Dathomir with no sisters and no Dathomir? And this really is kind of the foundation of one of my favorite things in the book because all of these characters, like I said, are dealing with that new reality. And what I really appreciated about this is. They split the group up, like they put a divide between the group, but they all still know they have each other. And it it was really interesting because a lot of times, you know, you get the team actually like breaks apart and they go their separate ways and then they learn, oh, you know, something brings them back together and, you know, they learn, oh, we're better together or whatever. But this is not really about that. This is about their divide happening because they uh, don't trust themselves, you know? And because they're not still able to attach to their old reality, 
they are, are, you know, kind of not able to trust anybody else and not able to fully embrace this new reality. And so when Fred finds who's, who's her, her girlfriend that, that they end up finding. Yeah. This is like the classic, another classic case of like, Hey, someone who listens to these on audiobooks, can you um, pronounce these words? Pronounce the names. But (laughs) when Fred finds her, you know, and finds out she is the shroud, she's able to, reattached to that old reality right and she's able to reconnect with who she was when she was with her and i think seeing that had a really big impact on Marin and, and cal in particular and allowing them to realize look we need to face the fact that we're not going to have that you know like especially for Marin, like there are no more night sisters for her to reconnect with there is no, like, there's no going back for her. Cal, you know, Marin even mentions it, has uh, Siri there, you know, has a Jedi there with him. But Marin has nothing. And I think just seeing that really forced them to get down to bare bones of, we don't have our past that we can go back and reconnect with. We know this because they were slaughtered in different different ways, different times, but they were slaughtered. And if we don't figure out how to really trust each other, even though we come from these different backgrounds and different experiences, we're not going to be able to accomplish our goals, whether our goals are the same or not. Yeah, but you know what? So here's here's another, because I agree with everything you say. I really do. But another classic case of seems like a missed opportunity because what really could have paralleled with this, right, is... The, I love that final line of who is she without Daphne or without her night sisters. And the point I absolutely love is on page 122. And it's when Cal is, or did I mark this incorrectly? It might be a page before page 120, maybe. Um, but whatever it is, it's Cal and Seer talking about what, it means to form attachment, right? And Cal's sitting there and he's saying like, hey, look, like I know Jedi are taught not to have attachment. That typically means in a romantic sense, but I love you and I love Mirren and I love Grease and I know you feel the same about this group and about this family. And wouldn't that mean forming an attachment? And I think that juxtaposition is something that maybe even if it had been a YA novel, but we really could have seen play off of Mirren struggling to live without her night sisters and these former Jedi struggling to live within these attachments and within these bonds. And it's, you know, Hey, look, we, the audience know the Jedi are the good guys and the night sisters have always been the bad guys, but maybe the night sisters had this one, right. And the Jedi didn't. And that's, I think, just such a missed opportunity that we didn't get to explore it more here. I can see what you mean by it being a missed opportunity, but I think it is in there subtextually, right? Because Marin forms that quick attachment to Fret, and because of her history with the Night Sisters and her her loss of the Night Sisters, I think that makes her somebody who's going to have an anxious attachment style and is going to. Uh, you know, really cling to somebody like Fret when when she feels an emotional connection. Um, you know, 
we saw her, you know, not do that with with Cal because you know they come from different sides. But for for Fret, because there was that romantic connection, she was able to do that, and so. You, you have Cal on the other side going, well, I've been taught attachments are, are not a good thing and we shouldn't just be trusting people out of nowhere because when we did that before, you know, these people ended up betraying us. So I think it's, I think it's there subtextually, but I can definitely see what you're saying of it not being um, right up front there. I, th- I think it should have been more in the spotlight, not for the reader's, to easily comprehend, but just for what the major theme of this was. I think had it been more of a, here are these two differing sides, here's where one got it right, one got it wrong, and here's these two people from each side, not just coexisting, but really and truly like building this this life and this found family together. I think that could have been a much better story than the one that we got. One of the other things that I, I think they did a good job of exploring, or actually, I'm sorry, I should say that I think they could have delved more into was kind of the dichotomy of the light and the dark side. Like with Cal and Marin, it's mentioned in, in passing more than it's really focused on, uh, which I think is is more of a shorthand of we don't want to focus too much on that because we know in Star Wars, you know, light, good, dark, bad, and we don't want to focus too much on that. But I really loved the, you know, juxtaposition of the fifth brother with Seer because uh, on page 86, the fifth brother, uh, it's talking about him. He says, but mostly the fifth brother saw hypocrisy. The Jedi had sworn a sacred oath to be the brightest stars in the universe that was otherwise in an empty vacuum trending toward darkness and a blank nothingness into which all beings risked falling. This was what the Jedi were meant to be, what he was promised, a billion suns in a dark and hungry void. Instead, they chose to become a black hole, sucking the light in the lightest among them, using that to lift their, using that to lift up and feed their own ego, the center of destruction, a promise of beauty, but in reality only greed, not even a reflection of darkness, around it somehow impossibly something even darker the jedi ate the darkness around them and they became it and that is juxtaposed to let me find this quote from seer when she's fighting uh when she's thinking about uh her fight with vader uh she says that was the peril and the possibility of the dark side always so much power, but also so much power over you. It whispered things into your mind, your deepest fears, your darkest secrets. It told you things that you tried so hard not to believe and made them convincing and real. It would do anything to get its claws into the soft tissue of your breaking uh, and hold itself there. Shadows curling around neurons, squeezing until you were gone. And all that was, all that was life, all that was left was the dark side, the darkness, no balance, no light. It would choke it would choke it all out and leave only itself. And then later uh, she says, but in turning away from the darkness, had she gone too far in the other direction? Had she been so desperate to fix the mistakes she'd made with Trilla, something she never could fix, not now, not really, that she would put her own crew at risk? She knew turning to the dark side was inexcusable, but she never expected to experience these kinds of consequences from abstaining from the fight altogether. Why shouldn't she have tried to save the Inquisitor when all their ac- options, Cal included, were lying du- uh, lying down and dusted in the dirt? And I just love how 
the fifth brother and Seer have these differing views of the way that the Force works, you know, and the way that the Jedi worked. And they're kind of both saying the same thing. You know, the fifth brother is saying that the Jedi kind of created their own fall in trying to snuff out the darkness instead of accepting that it is a reality. And I think Seer is talking about how by her not having that training of how to actually handle the dark side by just, you know, the Jedi training everybody to keep away from the dark rather than to learn how to handle it is what made it so easy for it to get its grips into her with the situation with Trilla when she was fighting Vader. And even uh, in this book when she's fighting the fifth brother and yes, she's logically trying to save him and she thinks she's trying to do what's right. But I think honestly, at that point in the story, she is really facing the dark side and the dark side is uh, manipulating her ability to see the reality in front of her. And she's become desperate and desperation is what the dark side clings on. So I say all that to ask you one do you think the fifth brother is right that the Jedi kind of created their own vacuum? And two, do you think Seer is right that by avoiding the dark side, they didn't have a foundation in order to be able to handle it uh, post Order 66? I mean, the, the latter point, absolutely, I think it's right. And that's why I'm so excited to kind of explore in these later movies we're getting what the Jedi might be in the future because yeah I think you you need to and this illustrates a little bit better than other stories but you need to be able to walk that fine line and not deal in absolutes right like we as Star Wars fans always just absolutely love and get such a kick out of the whole only Sith deal in absolutes line because that in and of itself is dealing with absolutes. Um, so, so I think that exploring that a little bit more and how things could be better, if you are able to dabble and, and truly resist temptation, because if you think about resisting temptation too, and resisting the dark side, it doesn't mean much if you just close that door and you never give yourself the opportunity to resist it. But if you're able to constantly sit there and look it in the eye and still be able to tread it, know about it, know it's there, know it's an option, I think that makes you an even better person. And that's kind of the cool things about the post-Order 66 era is we see that here. You know, we see it in Ezra. Like this is, this is I think, the perfect time to explore it because it is so crucial. Yeah, and like... Each of these Jedi is finding a different way to become a Jedi. You know, like we all we, we have these conversations about an ideal Jedi and, you know, the name Qui-Gon comes up, the name Luke, the name Ahsoka, you know, uh, even Obi-Wan comes up as this is like the pinnacle of what a Jedi should be. But really, to me, the post Order 66 Jedi are you know, the ones that are really building what the Jedi are supposed to be because they're having to face that darkness that's coming at them. Mm -hmm. And they are ha like, they can't 
walk away from it. And, you know, I gained so much respect for not not that I didn't before, but it just went to another level for Yoda and Obi-Wan when I saw for Yoda for uh, when he is is going through his training to become a force ghost and he faces the the dark Yoda as you know, kind of campy as that can be at times, you know, literally like facing a dark version of yourself like Rey does in Rise of Skywalker. Like it makes the point that like Yoda knows he has to face his own darkness. And then for Obi-Wan, he really, to me, he didn't face it in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Like not, he, he he faced his former friend. He faced, you know, that he had failed, but he didn't really face the consequences of his actions as much as when we get to the Obi-Wan series. And he really has to literally confront, you know, the demons of his own past and uh, figure out, oddly enough, through the demon that he, it, you know, can't keep carrying that weight on himself and he has to be able to let it go and face it and accept that it happened, but accept that he can become something more. And for Cal, I think that's happening here, but even more so ironically for Marin, I think that's happening here because when we get towards the end of the book and she's thinking about her magic, it says it was settling into something new, something entirely her own, something disconnected from anyone else. And even Though it scared her to think about it, disconnected in a way from Dathomir. And so she's literally like, you know, she's taking the good parts of her past and leaving, I don't want to say leaving the trauma behind because I, I, I don't want to be dismissive of trauma and the impacts that it has on it and everything this book says about it. But she is taking the, the foundations of her path and using it to build her future, but doing it her own way. And Cal, you know, is doing that and Seer is doing that and Grease are doing, is doing that. And, but the thing is, they just all haven't talked about how they're doing it. You know, like that, that is one thing that kind of threw me for a loop that I liked was all of a sudden these characters all have, you know, these different goals. And it just, a lot of books won't just say like, here's the goals of these characters. And it, I, I, I know it's kind of just blatant in your face here, but I think it worked when they just all are like, wait, we all have different goals. We all, I thought we were all fighting for the same thing and they have to face that. Um, and how can we work together, even though we have different goals uh, that are all related, but we also have different ways in which we think we should go about those goals. And to me that, I mean, that's what a family is, you know, uh, if you if you come from a big family or a small family, it doesn't matter. We all have different wants and needs and desires. But at the end of the day, we all want what's best for each other, at least, you know, hopefully in an ideal family. What I know that's not true for everybody. But uh, what were your thoughts on the just the, the plot line, the idea of all of these characters knowing that they want to work together, but having these different goals and having to formulate their new reality based around that idea. I think it was really interesting, but I will say I'm almost proud of myself because my big piece of criticism, I have been so consistent in <laughs> because it goes back to, we didn't get enough time to really dive into it with each character that we needed to, right? It's like every single time we kind of got close to, to really 
getting that breakthrough and really feeling that connection with the character, bam, it changes point of view where had this been longer. Cool. But then I think that's also where you would have gotten into like an outfit squadron where when you're jumping points of view between all of those characters, you need a lot more story time. But for a a one-off type thing like this, I just, I feel like it would have been so much better to just stick with like Cal and Mirren, right? And just seeing all of that growth and, and all of that potential for the story just through the eyes of those two characters and then really and truly start to dig deep into their growth and into how they're seeing it and just experience it a little bit more intimately than, than this rushed version that we got. Did you ever read um, when The Force Awakens came out, they had the young readers and it was like Ray's story, Finn's story? Yeah, yeah. We need that. We need a yeah, Jedi Battle do. Scars, Marin's version, Jedi Battle Scars, Cal's version. So basically what I'm saying is we need four more books of Jedi Battle Scars. Uh, so Sam Mags, if you could just get on that real quick, that would be great. You've already got it. You've already got a treatment. The treatment's already done. You know what you're writing about. Write a version from each each person's. Um, no, no, I, but you I know, even ironically, even though criticism. I gave it, even though I gave it a two out of five, I think that more stories would have fixed this more so than it would hurt it. Which is a really interesting, like that's a different. Um, I guess, critique than we often give, you know? Yeah. You and I have talked about, you know, sometimes like with Alphabet Squadron, we felt like some of it went too long and we jumped too much. Um, As much as, like, we do appreciate those books and, you know, you and I just aren't particularly Starfighter people, but, uh, you know, even with the, the Queen's books, we talked about sometimes it's hard to keep track of who the different characters are because they were going from so many different points of view and there's some characters we spend a whole chapter with and then we never really get their perspective again and so usually we're saying we want less of that but here we're saying we want more of that so yeah a little bit more could really help yeah um so one last quote i wanted to talk about before we we wrap it up because i thought this was kind of the the theme of the whole thing is uh cal talking he says it's getting up every day and making the choice to survive and it's about surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you do that and i just thought that was a beautiful sentiment um because at the end of the day that really is what it's about and you know i think the word survive was used in there used there using wow using i'd be i'd be i'd be teaching the children's um I think that was used there, you know, the word specifically to kind of, you know, link it to Jedi Survivor. But uh, I think, you know, more so Cal means, you know, getting up every day and trying to to thrive, trying to find joy. Like the choice to survive, yes, they're making that in, uh, you know, this this current reign of the Empire. But the subtext to me there is finding purpose you know and and finding people that are going to help you do that and that you want to do that with so i just really i i really like that quote i like it too i didn't necessarily mark it for myself but yeah now that you said i like that too quite a bit um and then just final final thing i wanted to talk to you about and then we'll give our our other ratings um 
So, so far in Jedi Survivor, have you seen, I know there's the, uh, spoiler alert for Jedi Survivor, I know somebody's pointed out, you know, Grease got a new arm to replace his old one that got chopped off, uh, but are there any other, like, major connections that you've noticed so far that you wanted to bring up? No, and I am not for long in the game, not for lack of playtime, for when I say I'm not at the I'm really bad. Um, so I'm not terribly far along. It feels like I am because I've been playing it nonstop for days now. Um, but so far, no, to a, a shocking amount. I really thought this would have been like a, every so often there would have been like a major tie-in. But I do think you could pretty easily play this game so far without having read this book specifically um i don't want to give other spoilers but there are a lot of other books maybe a different time frame of books and a couple of different phases of books that you need to read to get the most out of this game um but maybe some yeah. books we'll be talking about on future episodes maybe, of- yeah and and even have already talked about on even past episodes. Mm, Maybe we're getting into a phase three of those books. Who knows? Um, Maybe a wonder. (laughs) Those have a lot more tie-in than Battle Scars. I think Battle Scars is kind of the the nice little pick-me-up. I really don't want to give too much away about the game, but I haven't yet regrouped uh, with Marin, and that's when I would expect we would get the most tie-ins from this. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I've I've watched like the first five ten minutes of the playthrough, and uh, I don't I don't know if they're not together or not. But uh, Cal is not with the team when yeah the the so. objectives of the team are kind of to to regroup with each one one person at a time. Um, yeah. and I haven't gotten to Mirren yet. Um, so I don't know if. If that's going to bring more, because obviously the story is so centered on her. Um, It's interesting, though, that this book is about them learning to stick together, and then the game starts with them apart. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, all right. Let's give it final ratings. Me, I'm not budging. There's not much you could have said that would have lowered my score, uh, and there wasn't much room for this to go higher. So I'm staying at 4.5 out of 5. I love the book, and I can't wait to reread it. I'm going to stay with... You know what, no, I guess because you can get me to admit that there's so much potential with this book. I guess I'll bump it up to a three, but it very reluctantly. I kind of want to yes. keep it at a two. <laughs> I will take reluctant improvements. <laughs> like, I'm a teacher. Okay. I, I was going to say, reluctant improvements. Teacher. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, we will take that all day. So uh, let us know what you thought about Jedi Battle Scars and uh, its connections to Survivor, and we'll have to check in uh, on a later episode and see, Lindsay, once you've, you've finished the game, if there are more uh, connections that you saw there, because we're going to have a lot of books to talk about uh, coming up in the future here. We've got 
uh, High Republic stuff we've got to finish up. I'm reading Path of Vengeance right now. We're going to talk about Cataclysm. Uh, we've got a book I know you and I are very excited about, The Rise of the Red Blade by mm-hmm. one Delilah S. Dawson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be be a lot of fun. So all of your Star Wars books are going to be covered here on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, and all of your Star Wars is going to be covered on uh, the Clashing Sabers Network. We uh, had an episode of Forever Star Wars come out on May the 4th where Mark took took us on a little trip to uh, Coruscant and uh, over on the main show we're going to be talking about Mandalorian and then Star Wars Visions and Lindsay over on Sith Talk tell us what uh, what you guys are up to. Yeah we've uh, we, we've been jumping around quite a bit um, but that's kind of the beauty of Sith Talk is we really like to keep it very centered on what's going on in Star Wars at any given time. Um, so we did a great episode with you about a lot of the celebration news and, and where we think that's going to go. We just did our Mandalorian recap. Um, but stay tuned if you want to stay up to date with what's going on in, in Star Wars news, specifically with a lot of the studio stuff. And just hear our, our thoughts and banter because... Much like you and I, Zach and I don't always agree on a lot of things. Um, so you can find me over on Sith Talk if you want to talk about things other than the books. If you if you want more uh, stuff, we also have our Patreon that supports our literacy nonprofit. And Amanda just posted her first episode on there. She had a wonderful interview uh, with a with another Star Wars fan from across the seas. So definitely go check that out. You can subscribe and uh, get that on our Patreon. And all the money that you donate goes directly to putting books into the hands of kids and as we are uh, winding down the school year and I know many teachers are either you know deciding if they're going to stay at their campus move into another campus we've got new teachers coming in Uh, if you know a teacher whether they're a Star Wars fan or not and you want to give them a good pick-me-up for the beginning of next year uh, get us their information over on clashingsabers.net and uh, we will get them a box filled to the brim with books because I have a plenty and I have to move them so if I can mail them I don't have to move them (laughs) So please send those names over and we will get books to them. But until then, we just ask that you keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?